amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Well, ah, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to finish this today. And uh, yes, it's already on. Hello there. Well, that's bad. I wonder how I was singing so good. <laughs> Are bad. <laughs> isn't it good to be saved? Amen. 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 And uh, this is in the transition. You know, a lot of times we come here. And, you know, I can remember years ago. Well, not too many years ago. That boy, if I did something like today, where I was out in the deer woods and skinning deer all day, and I come to church, I'd feel uh, unspiritual. I'd feel like, well, you didn't pray enough. They didn't do this stuff. You know, I tell you, I'm so glad God delivered me from separating the sacred from the secular. It's all sacred if it's done for Jesus. Amen? And uh, I couldn't talk more with Jesus in my office than I did skinning that deer. Amen? And that's the way some of you need to think. If you were in your job today and uh, you didn't think of Jesus at all, then this is a foreign place to you. And you're not going to worship tonight. There's no way you're going to do it. But if Jesus has been your life today and you've been thinking about him and praising him, this ain't no different. Amen? This isn't, this isn't some kind of now we're into the glorious stuff. When I was at church, I was in the carnal garbage. It's all glorious if it's Jesus. Amen? So we can have a wonderful, wonderful time whether we're here or whether we're somewhere else. Amen? Amen? Well, then why do you look like you were somewhere else? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding me. If you have your Bibles, and uh, look at chapter 2. Now, we're going to... This was the formal church. We're going to finish this uh, tonight. Amen? Lord willing, we could get raptured. Amen. Y'all die of a heart attack. We don't know, but we're planning on finishing it. Amen. Amen. All right, look at this. We got the assembly, and we've already looked at that. We looked at the author. We looked at the admiration. We looked at the admonition. We looked at the appeal. We looked at the alternative. And now, finally, we've come to the assurance. Okay? And that's found in verse 7. He that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen? Uh, this is an assurance. I, I, I've, I don't know if you ever read much by Irma Bombeck. She's kind of funny. Uh, she, she wrote this. She said, she said, In church the other day, I was intent on a small child who was turning around smiling at everybody. He wasn't gargling or spitting or humming or kicking or tearing the hymnals or rummaging through his mother's handbag. He was just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him and with a whisper that could be heard on a theater off Broadway said, stop that grinning, you're in church. Yeah? And with that, she gave him a belt and his tears rolled down the little kid's eyes. She said, that's better. And then returned to her, quote, worship. She said, suddenly I was angry. It occurred to me the entire world is in tears, and if you're not, then you better get with it. You know, that's a new thing. If you're a happy Christian, people can't stand you anymore. 
You got to be suicidal. You got to be sad every day. You got to be depressed. You got if you're not, you're not with it. People who are Christians that are miserable are they're they're just cherished today. We love them. Now, folks, I got news for you. There is joy to the Christian life. Amen. I mean, you can say what you want. The fruit of the spirit is joy. Amen. And uh, we ought to be a happy bunch. We really ought to be. We ought to have spells every now and then. Amen. Uh, not just for some of us. She goes on to say this. I wanted to grab this child with the tear-stained face close to me and tell him about my God, the happy God, the smiling God. What a fool I thought. If he couldn't smile in church, where was he going to go smile? Folks, if you can't have fun here and smile and be excited and have some joy, where are you going to have it? The reason I bring that up is because I think most of our churches almost feed on making people feel miserable. Amen? And there's almost this idea that if you've got misery and all that, then something's wrong with you. You know, it's a normal thing if you're laughing. See, a lot of congregations don't laugh anymore. You ought to be in a place where you can laugh. Laughter is part of God. Laughter is a good medicine, the Bible says. Amen? It's a wonderful thing. At the end of each one of these seven letters, there's assurances. And lo and joke and behold... <laughs> I'm telling you, just about everybody I know makes these assurances as if they were threats. I can't figure, you know, I just said, I can't figure it out. Something God writes for us that's to encourage us and give us assurance of what we're going to get in eternity. And yet, I tell you, people pick this thing up, you read commentaries on it, you hear sermons on it, and it, they take the assurance of God, something that will make you smile and give you hope and make you, and they take it and it, they beat it over the head with it. And it almost comes out like it's a threat. And that's sad. I want you to know, just so you know, at the end of each one of these letters, he gives them an assurance. Something that is true of all believers and something that we ought to be real thrilled about. Amen? So let's just look at this. Verse 7. Now notice he begins with a plea. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now if you notice, he starts out with spiritual perception. He that has an ear, let him hear, right? Now notice, you've got the equipment. He that has an ear. You know, you could read that and you'd say to yourself, well, uh, I got ears. But remember, he's not talking about physical ears. You know that? You've got physical ears, amen, but you've got spiritual ears. Every believer, every single believer has a set of spiritual ears. Ears that by faith, can get into the written word of God and hear from God. Listen to me. Spiritual ears are not hearing voices. If you're hearing voices, you're eating too much pizza or something. Amen? If you live by voices, I, I can guarantee you, you're going to be satanically deceived one of these days. I don't give a flying flip what voices tell me. My authority is the word of God. And Jesus oftentimes talked about the fact that you needed to hear and you needed to use these ears. Let's look, look at Matthew 13, verse 1, for example. Now, lost people, they don't have these ears. Amen. Only the believer. But all believers have it. Not just super saints. Amen. Now, ears may be full of wax, but you got them. <laughs> and he, you see, like this is just a classic example. In Matthew 13, uh, like verse 2, it says, A great multitude were gathered together to him, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's going to speak to them in parables. Okay? And the parables 
were something that people without spiritual ears would hear, but they wouldn't understand. And that's why in verse 9 it says, He that has, has ears to hear will let him hear, but then drop down to verse 14. And in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, it which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. You see that? They could see, but they physically could see. They couldn't see with spiritual eyes. They could hear, but they couldn't hear God. See, that's the point. For the heart of this people have, have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have, have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes, that's spiritual eyes, and hear with their ears, spiritual ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. Now, verse 16, he says, Blessed are your eyes. Now, you see in verse 10, it says, The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak in parables? So, in the context, your eyes is referring to believers. Right? He's saying, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So, I just want you to know that. I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. You have these things, these physical ears. I'm glad we can hear. Amen. But you have spiritual ears. You have them. You, they're, they're, it's a faith kind of concept. It's not hearing audible voices, but it's getting to the written word of God, and somehow the Spirit of God allows you to understand. And isn't it wonderful to have these ears? I, I, you know, I was thinking, I, I read so much stuff here and there, and I was reading about Spurgeon, it's kind of goofy I guess, but really happened, a guy came into the service, and the only reason he came to church that particular Sunday was because they was going to have a musical, amen, and uh, they didn't want to hear any preaching, they just wanted to hear the musical, the only thing is, the pastor got up and was doing some preaching, and when he was preaching, he noticed this guy put his hands over his ears, because he didn't want to hear it, and to show you how the Lord works, a fly landed on that guy's face, and he took his hand off to knock the fly away. And when he did, the preacher just happened to be reading, He that has an ear, let him hear. Well, that kind of got this guy's attention. And he listened to the sermon. And he went home with spiritual ears because he trusted Christ as his Savior. Amen? So be glad. Be excited. Understand. You can. You see, you, you say to yourself, well, I can't understand the Bible. Yes, you can. Now, there's teachers, praise God, there's teachers, there's pastors and all that. But you yourself can get along with God in the Word of God yourself, and God's got a message for you. You shouldn't just get a message from the preacher. If the only time you hear from God is when you come here, man, you missed a lot of shots in between time. Amen. You get into the Word of God every day, trusting God to speak to you, and I'm telling you something, you got ears to hear things supernatural. Now, notice the enactment. The enactment. You got the equipment so you can hear if you're a believer. Amen. But notice we're to enact upon it. He that has an ear, let him what? Let him hear. Now, by the way, in the Greek it's interesting because it's an imperative and an aorist tense. Whenever you have, by the way, an imperative mood and an aorist tense together, what that means is he's commanding them to, to start doing something they weren't doing. So in the Greek text, when he says, let them hear, he's saying, you guys haven't been hearing, but the, listen to this. The point of hearing is not that they didn't understand, it's that they weren't doing anything about what they understood. And that's our problem. Most of us cop out and say, well, I don't understand. Most of us understand what God wants us to do. That's not our problem. I know, amen, amen, I know basically what God wants me to do in the course of a day. The problem is, half time I don't want to do it. Amen. And so, you know, look at James one twenty two. Of course, this is the <laughs> this is a good explanation of this kind of stuff. In James one twenty two, 
it says, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Now, I like this illustration. He said, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face, his natural face, in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Well, that's pretty stupid. Amen. Look in the mirror. And you see something there, you know, and then all of a sudden you forget what you saw there. Well, that's what he's saying. It's just as dumb to come into the mirror of God's Word, see something that's wrong, and not do anything about it. It'd be like you got this morning, and got up and looked into the mirror, and you ah, you see yourself, you know, and uh, your hair's all messed up, and you're not shaved, and you look like you've been in a car wreck. Well, you don't just go off to work and say, gee, I guess I'm fine. <laughs> you know, you need to do something about it, Right? Most of you look like, oh, you look like you did something bad. I'm glad to say, amen. Well, it's the same with the Word of God. I look into the Word of God, ah, I say, good grief. I got a problem here. Well, then I need to do something about that problem. But notice, that brings me to the third thing. Now watch this, and that's the enablement. The enablement. See, listen to me. To know what to do, to know what's wrong, bye-bye. <laughs> and, and, and My hanky went down there. To, to know what to do... <laughs> Y'all going to get and leave on me. Uh, to know what to do, to hear the Word of God, and to have the ears, and then say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do something about it. So listen, that won't last unless you get the Holy Spirit involved in your life. And He's already inside you. He lives in every believer, and He got inside you that He might control you. Amen? And that's why notice, he that has an ear, let him hear. But look at that phrase, what the Spirit says. You see it there? What the Spirit says. You know, I think this is interesting because when we started out, Jesus was talking. Remember that? The Lord Jesus is talking to his candlestick, and yet he says what the Spirit says to the church. Well, who's talking, Jesus or the Spirit of God? Listen to me. The Spirit of God is the one that enables us to glorify Jesus. No matter what Jesus does, the application of what Jesus does is related to the power of the Spirit of God. And I need to realize that. I will not perceive truth. I will not obey truth. I will not see anything supernatural in my life apart from the ministry of the Spirit of God. And I hope you understand that every single day of your life, when you get up, you say to yourself, Hey, I am indwelt with the Spirit of God. He lives in me. Isn't that great? I'm not alone. I'm not helpless. I'm, I'm not out here by myself. I've got somebody inside me who loves me and will empower me. What a thrill. Woo! Let me give you a verse. Put it all together. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. You feel like amen and you amen. Amen. Ah, good water. I know you wish you had some, but I, only one cup up there. <laughs> isn't it good to be saved? I mean, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 and 10. Look how this all fits together. Of course, they preach this at funerals. It's stupid because they ain't got nothing to do with funerals. But anyway, whatever turns them on. But it is written, eye has not seen. That's physical eye, right? Nor ear, physical ear heard. Dark, nor have entered into the heart of man. Now watch this. The thing. See, these are supernatural spiritual things which God hath prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them. When? Not when you die and go to heaven right now. He's revealed them to us. How? Through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. You see how that all fits together? It's the Spirit of God that takes the things of God and allows me to see 
what I can't see with my physical eyes and to hear what I can't hear with my physical ears. There are things to be seen supernaturally. You see them by faith. Listen, faith doesn't make things visible. Faith is believing in things that are not seen. I'm not talking about seeing visions and angels. No, I'm talking about believing God's Word. You know how I know there's angels here tonight? I know it by faith. I can see angels. You say, well, you see angels? I see them in my spirit. I know they're here. Why? God said they're here. And I can hear things that are beyond audible voices, something deeper than that. Amen? Anderson said this. He said, every aspect of our life is performed by the Spirit. In addition to living by the Spirit, we love by the Spirit. You know, that was one of their problems. They'd left their first love. Romans 15, 13, we love by the Spirit. We're sanctified by the Spirit. Romans 15, 16, we pray by the Spirit. Romans 8, 26, we have our hope by the Spirit. Romans 15, 13, we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Romans 8, 13, we worship in the Spirit. Philippians 3, 3, we're strengthened by the Spirit. Philippians 3, 16, we walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, we're taught by the Spirit. 1 John 2, 20, we produce fruit by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and that's just a little sample. <laughs> Amen. Boy, we're about dependent on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Everything you do in the Christian life demands a supernatural work and movement of God the Holy Spirit. Without Him, you can do absolutely nothing. Isn't that neat? Alright. You with me so far? Spiritual perception... But just a little side note, the saints' participation. Now see, watch this. You could be tempted to say, well, that's fine for the church at Ephesus, but we're not the church at Ephesus. This is all these years later. But did you notice what the Spirit of God wrote? He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? Yeah, see, it ain't church, singular. It's churches, plural. Even though he's addressing one singular local church, he's saying, you listen to what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Why? Folks, this is beyond the church at Ephesus. This is for us today. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? The Bible's timeless, man. Amen. It's inspired by God. And we're as much part of the church age as the church at Ephesus. And we've got as much of the Spirit of God as they had. We, we got as much reason to have a spell as they did. Amen. Well, I like this. I like to think of, I don't, you don't think of daffy things, but I like to think of a glove. To me, we're a glove. Now, I tell you, folks, a glove won't do nothing. I mean, I got gloves all over, amen. But I tell you something, a glove with your hand in it becomes a power source, amen. And, and, and you see, the Spirit of God, we're like a glove. Without His power, we're just limp, lifeless. We ain't going to do nothing. But when the Spirit of God, and He's already in us, He's already there, we yield to Him just like my hand gives power to a glove. God's Spirit gives power to God's people. Boy, that's what we need. Somebody wrote this. My life is all yours to shape as you will. I'll be the glove for your hand to fill. I want to be pleasing to you. May it be that you might be glorified in me. Amen. So he starts out with this plea. And then second of all, now watch this, because this is where the people go daffle on you. The people. The people. Now get back in our passage, back in Revelation chapter 2. Look at the people who he's talking to here. Back there. Take a right. Watch this. All right. The plea is, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to churches. And notice the people, to him who overcomes. 
That's the people that this promise is for. Now, some people have come up with this idea. The ones that have overcome are the spiritual ones. And so what we do is, if you really overcome, in other words, you've said no to sin, and you're filled with the Spirit of God, well, you all say no to sin, you all be filled with the Spirit of God, and, but it almost divides the body of Christ into the real super saints who have overcome. It means to prevail and be victorious. And those of us that are carnal and backslidden, well, I guarantee you there's backslidden people and Spirit-filled people. Amen. But listen to me. There's got to be a problem here. Watch this. If the people he's talking about are spiritual ones that overcome, now watch this, then the promise that he makes is just for spiritual people. Here's the problem with that. The promises we're going to see is eternal life and intimacy in the presence of God. Now, folks, are you trying to tell me that the only one that has eternal life and has an intimacy with the presence of God are a certain segment of believers? I tell you, you're crazy and loon. I mean, little baby verse like John 3, 16, God so loved the world that gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've got eternal life. Now, I'll tell you how it works. It is for all believers. Now, watch this, watch this, watch this, because you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. How can it be for all believers since all of us are not victorious? All of us are not overcomers. All of us don't overcome the world. Some of us are overcome by the world. Amen. Well, I'll tell you how it works. Jesus Christ is an overcomer. He is an overcomer. Let me just, look, there's many, many. Let me show you. John 16, 33. That's just one little quick verse. Nail that down. Amen. There's more. John 16, 33. Okay? You there? <laughs> Isn't it great? Huh? Ah, excuse me, but I'm in a good mood tonight. Amen. I'll be in the flesh tomorrow, but today I'm having spell. Anyway, look at John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That what it says? Now watch this. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Now, everybody agree with that, wouldn't you? Now, here's the, here's the next stage. Where are you as a Christian? You are in Christ. It's so simple. See, my victory is related to my identification with Jesus. I'm not victorious based on something that I've done. I'm victorious because Jesus is the victory and I am tied into Jesus. That's why you find verse, by the way, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be unto God which giveth, 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 grace word, us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Doesn't give us the victory through our performance, right? Let me show you, look at, look at Romans 8, 37. I always give an illustration when I'm Romans 8, 37. Some of you have heard it, some of you haven't. If you've heard it, don't get all, oh man, here it goes again. <laughs> you know, and the illustration that makes a passage clear is worth its weight in gold. Amen. Romans 8, 37, Yet in all these things, underline it, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now that verse doesn't say we're conquerors. See, that's what Jesus is. It says we are more than conquerors. I've told you this before. Some of you heard something, but just to relive it. Hollyfield, remember? Here you got the guy. He's a boxer. You know, he trains. He works. He goes through all this stuff. All right, he fights. And let's say he fights a 15 grueling route. Well, when he's done, he is the conqueror. He wins. Now when he goes home, his little bony wife... 
opens out her hand and she gets the million dollars that he won from the fight. She is more than a conqueror. Amen. Now what happened was Jesus on the cross conquered. He defeated sin, death, and hell. I'm more than a conqueror. Why? I'm in Jesus. He is my victory. Look at Revelation 12, 11. <laughs> Woo! That fresh air out there gets me stirred up. Revelation 12, 11. <laughs> see, we don't think right of victory. We think of our performance. We, we don't see victory is a person. I show you this. Look at this. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You can stop right there. You want to overcome something. I tell you what, you just start applying the blood of the Lamb. That's Revelation 12, 11. To your life. Watchman Nee said this. Listen to this. What is victory? In the Bible, victory is first mentioned in 1 Samuel 15, 29. By the way, New King James uses the word strength, but some translations have victory, where it says that victory will not lie or repent. Indeed, victory is a person. The victory of Israel was a person. Victory is not a thing. It's not an experience. It's not a matter. It is a person. We all know who the person is. He is Jesus Christ. Victory is not a matter of what we are, but a matter of Christ living on our behalf. See, again, someone says, well, if you believe this, you'll live like dirt. No, folks. Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, so he is. If I think in my mind that I'm victorious, and it's not fantasy, it's reality, because I am victorious in Jesus, the Spirit of God will take what Jesus did at the cross and get it operational in my experience. But if I start out focusing on me, see, then if I were to succeed, who would get the glory? I would get the glory. God ain't going to share His glory with me or you. Amen? There's only one overcomer, one person who is ultimately all the time victor, and you're tied into Him! Isn't that great? Greg Luganis, he's a driver, race car driver. U.S. champion driver. Well, this guy, it, it says he, in the stress of international, I guess that's supposed to be diving competition. That shows you my typing ability. Whether he's a driver or a diver, I don't really give a flip, frankly. But the fact of it is, whatever the guy is, they ask him how he dealt with the stress. Here's what he said. Even if I blow this... We'll say dive. My mother still loves me. I thought that was weird. You listen to me. Listen. Even if I blow this day, I'm still an overcomer in Christ Jesus. See, if you're an Adam, you're a failure. Everything you did today was a failure. Everything you did was a waste of time. You are a loser. And folks, because Adam's a loser. If you are in Christ, I'm telling you, everything as far as... See, we got this nutty idea. I think to myself, God's standard is about here, and I think I can reach it. No, no, God's standard's here, beyond me! And the best I can produce is down here. So I get in the flesh, and I have a good day, and think, well, I guess I met God's standard. No, I didn't. The only one who ever met God's standard is God. <laughs> Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. His standard is perfect. I'm never perfect. Why? Got a sin nature. For starters, I'll never do anything. Per nothing's perfect. God doesn't compromise His perfection. 
So what he did is he paid for your sins and took Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' victory and Jesus' life and put it on your account. And now you are in Christ. All God expects out of you is failure and you always deliver the trucks. <laughs> Loaded. Amen. You've never missed a payment. Did you know that? You think you haven't, but you've, you've never missed it. All God expects out of Jesus is success. And folks, He always delivers the goods. And again, knowing this does not encourage you to live sinful, carnal lives. Knowing it makes your little heart be filled with gratitude. And you just, mm, you just want to say, yes, yes, yes. You just want to love somebody who loves you like that. Huh? Hey, that's what it does. Uh, whoo, not good I'll tell you another reason watch this I'll tell you another reason why I know an overcomer is not people who are quote spiritual I know an overcomer is referring to all believers because you see it was one of the apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is one of his favorite words and John himself will tell you that an overcomer is not someone who is spiritual, but someone who's born again. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Look at 1 John 4.4. 4. 1 John 4.4. 4. Ah. Working with them guts all day makes a man thirsty. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. 1 John 4.4. 4. You with me? If you're not, I'm going to have a spell with her that. Amen. I mean, I give a flip, right? 1 John 4.4. 4. Now watch this. Just a little bitty old book. 1 John 4.4 4 says this. You are of God, little children. Well, that's a term for born again ones, right? And have overcome them. Why? Because you're such a hot shot? No. Because greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. You know he who's in you? Yeah. Look at 1 John 5, 4 and 5. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. <laughs> Sounds like nurseries getting more action than we are. Amen. <laughs> 1 John, you should be right there. <laughs> 1 John 5, 4 says this. Whosoever is born of God. Now, anybody know what that means? That's, aren't, ain't believers born of God, right? You heard the term born again? Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, isn't that what John's teaching? Well, now, folks, if it's just spiritual people, then he wouldn't have said, Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, watch this. Keep reading. This is the victory. That's what an overcomer has. That has overcome the world. Our faith. Now, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. You'll stop right there, and Satan will say, Ah, if I had more faith, I'd be an overcomer. Read the next verse. Who is he who overcomes the world but he that believes Jesus is the Son of God? Folks, believing Jesus is the Son of God is salvation belief. If you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're not born again to start with. So what he says is, what overcomes the world is our faith. What kind of faith? Faith that salvation faith. In other words, if you've got enough faith to be saved, you've got enough faith to overcome. Why? Because when I place my faith in Jesus, I'm placed into Jesus. And His victory is now my victory. Got it? Isn't that beautiful? Well, how about the promise? The promise. 
That's the last point. Amen? Take a right. <laughs> the plea, the people. Did you get the people? Did you get that? It can't be anybody but believers. You can't make it spiritual people. And that's why the promise is for all believers. You can see why. Look at this. It said, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Tree of life. Well, sound like it's fun. Would you like to have a tree of life? Well, you offer me a tree of life, ain't you? Go back to Genesis. Remember that? Genesis, God had the tree of life. The only reason Adam and Eve was kicked out of the garden and couldn't partake of the tree of life was because they sinned. See, sin brings about death. The tree of life is related to eternal life. So if you sin and you experience death, you don't get the tree of life. You don't look convinced. Look at Genesis 2. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse 9. First book in the Bible. Genesis 2, 9. Ah, don't you like Christmas? Hey, isn't it nice? Yeah, I mean, I like Christmas songs. Don't you? Isn't it nice? Even trees are fun. Don't worship trees. The trees remind us Jesus died in the tree, the gifts by the Son of God. Amen. Don't let anybody humbug you out of Christmas. Amen. We're going to have a good, amen. Have a good time. Say, what's that got to do with anything? Not a joking thing. I just thought I'd let you know I'm looking for, I'm geared up. Amen. Everybody's whining they start Christmas too early. I don't care. Let them start it now. I like it. Amen. I don't even, listen, I don't even think Santa Claus is Antichrist. Now, I never taught my kids in Santa Claus. Because see, if I teach them Santa Claus is real, and Tooth Fairy is real, and the bunny's real, and I tell them Jesus is real, I'm confusing them. But folks, Santa Claus is not a demonic person. If you study a little historical background, there was a fella, and there's a real historical background behind all. He's not demonic or anything else. It's not, you know, we can we act so stupid. Amen. Oh, man! Santa! What's wrong with people? What's wrong with Isn't it weird? Isn't it nice to be free? Some of you, too, you, you might still be in bondage. You, maybe you come from churches where you've been legalistic up to your gut, and you, you, you're going to have a hard time. But you'll have a good time. I'm not talking about sin now. I'm talking about freedom. Amen. And you know the tree of life's got to fit into this somehow. Because I'm the pastor. <laughs> bless God. You know, if I want to chase a Texas jackrabbit, that's my, amen. What are you going to do? I'm up here. You're stuck with me. Amen. Doors are locked. I just threw that in. I can do it if I want to. Genesis 2.9. Amen. Look at this. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree, every Christmas tree, anyway, every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Look at chapter 3, verse 22. Now remember, they sinned, rebelled against God, right? 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. They were never meant to know it experientially, by the way. And now, lest he put his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and do what? That tells you what tree of life is, right? And look at this. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden uh, to till the ground, blah, blah, blah. And they drove him out, probably in a Cadillac. Anyway, placed the cherubim, the east of the garden, and so forth. So, zzz, they're out of there. Now, 
Why? Watch this. Watch this. Watch. If sin is going to keep them from the tree of life, then how come I'm going to get to snack on it? Because Jesus Christ died for our sin. And He rose from the dead, and He is an overcomer, and I'm in Him! And because of Jesus taking my sin and being victorious, I'm going to crunch on the fruit of the tree of life. And no other reason. I'm not going to do it because I'm a good person and I'm woo, I'm going to do it because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Got it? Revelation 22. Hey, tree of life, man, it's, it hangs around. Ever wonder where it is? You can wonder all you want. Nobody knows. I mean, you can go over there all day long. I've been over in that area. I never saw no flaming jazz. You say, is it real? Sure, it's real. God says it's real. Amen. Revelation 22, too. You know, you can't know everything, by the way. That shocks us, but we really can't. <laughs> all right. All right, look at this. Revelation 22, too. You, you with me? In the midst of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, look at this. It bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. You say, what's that mean? One day we'll get to that passage. That's to be in our study. Amen. Something you need to think about. The leaves of the tree were for healings of the nation. That's interesting. But you see the tree of life, don't you? Right? Amen? Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments. That's a poor translation. It has that idea of washing their robes. But anyway, we'll get to that when we get to it. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs. These are lost people, see? Outside are lost people. I like what J. Vernon McGee said. I like this. He said, I don't know what kind of fruit the tree of life has, but I believe it will enable us to really live it up. <laughs> Woo! Really live it up. He said this, most of us don't know much about living. We have sort of a vegetable existence down here, but we'll have a good fruit existence up there. We'll eat the tree of life, and we're going to live as we've never lived before. See, the Bible teaches you have eternal life right now. But the fullness of what that means, we don't know right now. But one of these days when we lose the sin nature, and we're in a glorified body, and we're in our little new Jerusalem, we're going to experience eternal life. It's going to be something woo -woo, greater than we could just ever imagine. You're going to get to... See, look at that. Are you with me? This is for you. Why do you look so sad? This is for you. You're going to munch on that tree. You're, I'm, I'm talking to you. You're going to partake of it. Maybe tonight. Never know. Woo -wee. A little rapture could happen tonight. Whew. I like to eat my deer meat first. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't give two flips about that deer meat. I really, amen. If y'all are left behind, you feel free to get it. I hope you're not. Amen. <laughs> I really do. All right. Now he talks about in the midst of the paradise of God. I always like the word paradise. You know, paradise, isn't it nice? Paradise. Well, I did a little word so down, paradise. You know, originally it was a Persian word. That's where it came from. And Persian monarchs would have, in fact, paradise literally meant garden of pleasure. That's what it means, garden of pleasure. And these monarchs would have these gardens of pleasure, and they were like orchards. There were all kinds of fruit trees 
and beautiful things. And they put a wall around it, by the way, to keep people out except for the monarch and whoever he wanted in. And that's the word that the Bible uses many times. It Almost it draws... You know, it's interesting, the New Jerusalem talks about the walls around it. Huh? And you know, all through the Bible, it's talking about these fruit trees and stuff. You say, what is it? It's, a lot of it's symbolic language, but it's, it's just, mmm, it's the best. It's, it's like talking about the, you know, just the mm, epitome of life. Now, the word in the Old Testament. You know, there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament called Septuagint. And guess how they translate the word, the Greek word paradise, in the Old Testament, it's the Garden of Eden. Interesting, interesting. That certainly was a paradise, amen? Don't like that? Walk with God in the cool of the day. Huh? Oh, I like, isn't that wonderful? Now, the New Testament. If you don't believe this, get the tape on Hades, and I don't have time to preach a whole sermon here. But in the New Testament, there's a place called Hades. Luke 16, Jesus talked about two compartments. Some people poo-poo that, but I don't. I find it right in the Scriptures. One side is paradise. That's where believers went before the cross. The other side is torment. And that's a picture that you find of believers dying and going to this place of paradise. And if you read Luke 16, that's why Jesus said, Thief on the cross, this day she will be with me in paradise. Why? He descended before he ascended. Paradise he was talking about, that other place in Hades, and what he was assuring him is, you're not going to the place of torment. You are saved. Now, Jesus emptied paradise after the cross, and now today you'll find paradise related, like in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said he went to paradise, he ascended to the what? Third heaven, which is the abode of God. Revelation 21, we're going to see that the paradise ultimately is the new Jerusalem. Your home's going to eternally be in the new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem, we'll get to all this, is like a... See, when the millennial kingdom comes, you know, we'll be in glorified bodies. We'll be like a satellite city over the earth. Be over Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem. will be. It won't be on the earth yet. It'll be over the earth. And we're going to be in there. And, of course, we're going to glorify bodies so we can zip around and do whatever turns us on. Huh? And uh, then, see, what's going to happen when there's going to be a new heaven and new earth? The new Jerusalem's going to come down on that new earth. You know, a lot of people talk about heaven, but if you don't understand it, your eternal home is in, on earth. If you study your Bible, you'll find that's exactly right. The new earth is where you're going to basically be. That's going to be heaven. And why we have such a daffy time with that. Amen. It won't be like a barfy earth that we got now. Uh, well, so let me just say that it's like, it's like the presence of God in a way, isn't it? So if you put them together, eating the tree of life in the paradise, it's almost like having eternal life with God. Where you belong. So you belong there. You know, you, you know you, you, does anybody but me have trouble really feeling at home in this world? This ain't our home. See, you go back to the garden. Oh, you read it. I, there's a lot of times I'll read it. And I think, oh, I wish we hadn't blown it. Wish we'd have stayed there, <laughs> you know. But we blew it. And we know we blew it. And that's why even at your happiest, something inside you tells you, you're not home yet. It's something missing. It's always something missing. One uh, mother was talking to her daughter. And, uh, no, who was it? I can't remember the name of the guy now. Peter Marshall told this. This mother had a little boy that was dying. It's a true story of incurable cancer or something. I forget exactly what he had, but he's dying. And he asked his mother, said, well, mother, what's it like to die? 
She said, well, you know, when you're in the room and you're playing and you fall asleep, he said, and when you wake up, you wake up in your own room. That's what, that's what dying is. It's waking up in your own room. See, that's what death, the rapture, whatever comes first. You're waking up, you're back in the garden. <laughs> you're, you're back in paradise. You're, you're where you're supposed to be. And so if you wonder why you're always dissatisfied deep inside, why do you wonder? You're not in a glorified body yet, are you? Anybody lost their sin nature yet? I don't think so. Anybody in the New Jerusalem? Anybody eating of the tree of life? Anybody going home to paradise tonight? <laughs> Up, Chuck, right? We ain't going to paradise. But one day we are. One day we are. You get this? It's what he's talking about. So, 8 o'clock. What's he saying? Smile. <laughs> Joy! Excitement! Woo! Why? Because I've got the assurance this is not all there is. Folks, if Christianity was this, nuts on it. I mean, if this is it, it's like some goofball telling you you're in the millennial kingdom. Gosh, if this is a millennial kingdom, let me off. <laughs> this is it? And some of you can look spiritual and say, oh, but I'm just so happy. You're so full of bull. You know you're not so happy. Life's full of suffering and disappointment and melchimagnesia. Amen? It's puke down here. But then why smile? Folks, I ain't staying down here. This, ain't where I, this is not the end. This little bump. In fact, if I can get out here, I'm there. Heaven just outside this body. If I could get out of this body, I'm there. Makes you want to just take a leap at it. Huh? I'll close with this. A guy named Eugene Lang. Eugene was nine years old. He went to, he was in utter poverty. Had to walk to school. It cost like five cents to take a streetcar, and they couldn't afford that. He walked miles to school. But he kept persevering, he kept persevering. He got through school, he went to college, and he ended up just about like a millionaire. Very wealthy, very respected. You know what he did? He went back, this was something like 1981. He went back to that same high school that he graduated from. It's still the pits. Still, you know, everything was poverty. And he gave them, he was giving them like a pep talk, telling them you can become somebody. He noticed nobody was listening to him. Nobody cared about what he was saying, and it dawned on him. He knew what was wrong. Every kid there knew, and they had a high, high dropout rate. Every kid knew there that they, even if they got through high school, which they didn't look to get through, they'd never afford college anyway. And halfway through his speech, it dawned on him, and he stopped right there, and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to make, and I don't remember how many it was, but I'm making this offer. If you stick through it and graduate, I am going to pay for your college. And you know what? Time Magazine had an article on that. Every single one of them kids graduated and went on. What was the difference? What made kids that dropped out and didn't give a flip? I tell you, it's the word called hope. And when you saw them little kids, instead of being frustrated, there's a little smile on their face. Why? I'm going to college! I got a future! I got hope! I'm going to make it! See, 
you leave that equation out of your Christian life, you're going to be miserable. All you can think and think of yourself and your little problems right now and can never live life with eternity in mind, you're going to be the most miserable person on this planet. But folks, why do you limit yourself to what you're experiencing now when God says, God said, listen, buddy, one of these days, Maybe if they see you happy, they'll catch on. And it ain't some false hope. It's a hope grounded in the truth of the Word of God. Woo-hoo! Huh? I'll tell you what. Most people take this very message and leave you with this. You better overcome. And why aren't you overcoming? And you're not victorious? Why don't you live right? Now you go home and you try to live right. And they wonder why you're so joking miserable. Because that ain't what God said. God said, I'm paying for your heavenly college. I love you. I'm going to bless you. You got it? See, now you go home and you say, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. See the difference? Boy, don't it make you just want to... Well, maybe not. Let's stand. Let's stand. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission... Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.